You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. Uh, A late Merry Christmas and a slightly late Happy New Year. As you all know by now, the Jets have rid themselves of the plague that is Adam Gase. Uh, kicked to the curb hours after the game, apparently minutes after returning to the facility. Uh, but bottom line, Adam Gase is no more. It's a, it's a great day on the one hand that Gase is, is, is flushed, uh, but there's still that, for me anyway, I don't know about uh, Alex and Dylan both here live. We're all going to talk about this tonight. Uh, for me, it stings a little because I, I don't recall a hire at the head coach position that was less popular among the fans than Adam Gase, almost universally ripped by Jets fans the second the hire was made. I know for people like me, I was ripping it when it was when they rumored that he was going to be interviewed. Tried to be optimistic. I thought at least he would be better than Todd Bowles because, as we know, he beat Todd Bowles up for three years when he was with the Dolphins, posted a 4-2 record, as it turned out. He would go, uh, what, 9-23, and 23, whatever his pathetic record was with the Jets. Adam Gase is gone. Uh, you know, I, I saw LaMichael Pirine, Jets running back, liked the, uh, the Jets official announcement on Instagram. Ty Johnson tweeted out, I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, someone tweeted that Gase had been fired. I, I don't know if it was the actual, the rap sheet or whoever, and Ty Johnson commented on it, said, damn, we just got back to the facility 20 minutes ago. And the tweet had been sent 10 minutes earlier. So Gase fired within 10 minutes of getting back to the building. Should have been sooner. We'll file this under better late than never. We'll treat the last two years like it was a nightmare that never happened. As a Jets fan, I feel reinvigorated. I feel like, uh, you know, a, a, a fresh start. And I know we've had this before, but listen, it's been co-tight was the last time we had a guy this bad. So this just had to happen. Alex, your thoughts. Dylan, follow that up with yours. Hey guys, uh, glad to be back and the three of us on the pod. Um, like you said, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, new year, new team, new new vibes. Uh, we have added by subtracting um, Adam Gase and getting rid of him here. Uh, it was a bad fit. Never really uh, was a match made in heaven. He was unable to do the job, and to be honest with you, this was a very difficult job. Jets are still a train wreck. Uh, they got a lot of work to do. Um, Adam Gase was a big part of this. I don't think he was the um, entire reason why the Jets have been so bad over the last two years. A lot of that has to do with the roster, in my opinion, but he did not help this team uh, progress or move in the right direction. So it's a good day for a lot of fans that wanted him gone as of last year. Um, you know, that's the way the Jets are. Usually takes them a little bit longer than other teams to come around, but they finally did the right thing here by parting ways with a horrible head coach. And now the future has a little bit of brightness on it to where we might be able to get somebody in here that can do a heck of a better job than, than Adam Gase. So, um, new day, new year. And, um, 
very interested to see who our new coach will be. Uh, what do you think, Dylan? I'm, I'm not sure which one of you guys said it, but I think the perfect phrase is better late than never. And everything Christopher Johnson said today is basically in that category, better late than never. So as a Jets fan, you got to just turn the page, start a new chapter. This is going to be a new era. Joe Douglas is going to lead the charge. Hopefully we can all put our trust behind him. We know, you know, it hasn't been everything great from Joe Douglas so far, but it seems like he's going to be the guy and Christopher Johnson trusts him to be the guy listening to him in the press conference today. So Definitely better late than never. Um, I, I'm only 25 years old, so Rich Kotite was uh, not a thing in my lifetime. So Adam Gates is definitely the, the worst coach I've ever seen coach this team by far. So I'm hoping that it's only up from here. And, you know, I saw last night, I saw Jeff Schwartz uh, comment that, you know, why are people giving the Eagles such a hard time? Everyone was fine with the Jets tanking all season. And listen – you guys know, I said this a million times during the season, and the fact that the Jets went out and actually won a couple of games told us this team was not tanking. They just looked like it. When you're, when, when you're running draw plays on second and 26, when you're throwing short of the sticks again and again and again and again and again and constantly, you're, listen, I, 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 wish, I can't remember the exact numbers. I know it was bottom third of the league. Um, I didn't, I, I meant to jot it down when they said it during the broadcast yesterday, but it's a comment that I've made several times uh, for over a year now. This, this head coach, and, and Gay said it himself, he was brought in to help develop Sam Darnold. And I, listen, anybody who watches this game knows there are ways you can help your quarterback out. And some of the simple, basic ways you can help a, a young quarterback out is by using a lot of motion to give him an extra look at the defense. Is it man? Is it zone? Who's got who? Play action. Freeze the linebackers. Give him a little bit more time, especially when the offensive line stinks. And I get the run, but running game has been bad, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's been Frank Gore, not Ty Johnson or Josh Adams. So basically, the Jets are bottom third in the league in play action, bottom third in the league, I think bottom five, I believe, in – the frequency with which they put guys in motion, they ran Frank Gore instead of the three guys on the roster who were all better than him. So this head coach, while trying to win football games, ran a vanilla, stagnant, just sort of standard offense and sent his worst players out there to do it while he was trying to win football games. So I don't want to hear that the Jets tanked. The Jets didn't tank. The Jets had Adam Gase. And when you have Adam Gase, it looks like you're tanking. And we saw it every time Johnson or Adams got, got extended carries. They looked infinitely better than Frank Gore did. But that didn't matter to Adam Gase. At, Frank Gore was fourth on the team in yards per carry. He was the slowest guy on the team. He had the worst production on the team, and he was still Adam Gase's go-to guy. So they weren't tanking. Gase was just a complete idiot and had no idea what the hell he was doing. So while there was – and I said a million times, I said, look, I don't know if they're tanking. It's hard to tell. They might, be, they might just be losing these games on purpose based on the way Adam Gase is coaching. 
But when you go out and win a couple and you beat the Rams, I mean, the Rams are a 9-4 playoff team. You beat them on the road. Sounds like maybe you got some talent on your roster. And you only got – you got two wins. Let's face it. You got one of them because the other team lost four receivers, uh, you know, an hour before the game started. So, for all intents and purposes, the Jets were 2-14 and 14 because of COVID. Otherwise, that's a 1-15 football team. And we can talk about how there wasn't talent, but you certainly don't help yourself when you don't send the most talented guys out there. How many weeks did we come on this show? I know I, I took a ton of shit on Twitter for it, and I don't care. How many times did I say, throw Chris Herndon 10 footballs in the game and let him get his head on straight. Let him make a few catches and let him get going. Nothing. Over the last few weeks, they threw him a couple balls, what, two months ago? Makes a great leaping catch, makes a touchdown catch. Then he's invisible again, no targets for three weeks. And then all of a sudden, the last few weeks, it's like, oh, look, this guy's one of our better players. Yeah, you didn't stick with him through a tough time. He had a bad game, and you made him a blocking tight end, and he saw one target per game. It's his own damn fault that he screwed up, don't get me wrong. But as I said, when you're winless and 32nd in the NFL on offense, what the hell do you have to lose by keep going to the same guy to let him work through his issues? So this team may have looked like they were tanking. They were gasing. That's what this team was doing. So as it stands now, guys, we, all, we, we know the names that are being thrown around out there. So I'll throw out a few that we've seen. Matt Campbell, Joe Brady, Wink Martindale, Todd Monken. Well, Monken's my guy, one of my guys. Ryan Day, Brian Dayball, Eric Bieniemy, Arthur Smith, Pat Fitzgerald. Which names are you hearing, Alex? You go ahead and jump in first. Which names do you like most? Which names do you like least? Who's, if you could pick the guy right now, who would it be and why? And for the guys you don't like, why? Uh, you know, I've been hearing good things about Matt Campbell. Um, I know that Arthur Smith is, is a name that is highly spoken of. Uh, you know, I'm most familiar with Eric B. Enemy. Uh, that would probably be the guy that I would probably lean toward. Uh, I know, you know, you personally feel, you know, no coordinators, you know, get somebody with some experience uh, to come in and take this job. But, you know, everybody starts somewhere. Uh, So that would probably be where I would go. Um, You know, my least probably would be like names like Bill O'Brien or, you know, maybe bringing in the hardball guy. You know, that was a rumor I saw the other day, too. Um, not really too uh, up to date current on on all these uh, these coaches as of yet because <laughs> it's still less than 24 hours since the firing. But um, you know, at this point, I know I know it sounds kind of like the way we said it last year. You know, anybody but Gase. Um, you know, at this point, I kind of feel like that's going to be an improvement regardless of the direction we go in. I do think experience does matter um, in a situation like this. Uh, the Jets have experimented with a lot of different types of. Uh, you know, coaches, and you brought in McCagnan, who was like a draft guy or an analyst, you know, or scouting guy from from the the Texas um, uh, team, and apparently, you know, he was really good with the numbers, and you know, obviously that didn't work out. He he made a bunch of terrible contracts and drafted a bunch of players that are not even on the team anymore. Um, we tried Todd Bowles out. I think Todd Bowles is a a great defensive mind. You know, he's proven that the last couple of years in Tampa having top-rated defense, but he was not meant for the head coaching job role. Um, he, he's doing much better in a coordinator's role. Uh, so, you know, maybe where I'm leading it as of today, 
you know, January uh, 4th, uh, you know, maybe somebody with experience uh, would probably be the best bet. This way it's not going to be experiencing things, um, you know, on the fly and, and learning as you go and, you know, putting together pieces, you know, as, as you just go through the process. Um, maybe having somebody that has been through this before uh, might be the Jets' best direction. So this way they can come in here with a game plan, uh, know where they want to go, uh, put together a, a plan to where they want to be in the next few months and, you know, or at the end of the season and, and obtain those goals as well. So, you know, maybe experience matters um, this time around. Dylan, your thoughts? Yeah, so last night uh, during the Eagles game, I was tweeting out a bunch of times that I'm glad that the Eagles said that Doug Peterson had job security in Philadelphia because he was on my number one list of please let's not hire a head coach three minutes after he was fired from a team that was regressing year over year. And I'm very glad that they're going to retain him. So he was number one on my do not do not hire list. Um, also, uh, Jim Harbaugh was up there. Uh, he's signing the extension uh, through 2026 with Michigan. So luckily, another one. We're, we're missing the bullet on that one. Um, but a name that I personally have grown to like throughout the year, and Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report mentions him <clears throat> quite a bit, is Rod, Robert Sala from San Francisco. I think he is kind of in that type, that CEO type, where he can – get along with the players. He can, he can gel with his staff. He can do a lot of different things from an organizational standpoint that would be a lot different than the direction the team has gone with, you know, a Gates or a Bowles. And also the, the kind of flair that I like in that is uh, that Shanahan is likely to allow one of his assistants on offense, whether that's Mike McDaniels, the run game coordinator, or uh, Mike LaFleur, who's the brother of Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach. He's the pass game coordinator. So one of those assistants is likely to leave San Francisco and Shanahan has been flirting that it, it will be in a pairing with Sala to a new team. So that to me kind of intrigues me because McDaniels and LaFleur are that offensive mind that we kind of need. Plus with uh, the, you know, just being a brother of the Packers head coach, there's a tie there with a new franchise that we can take staff members from here and there. But just on Rob Stahl alone, I mean, the San Francisco defense was riddled with injury. We saw it week two against our own Jets. Uh, I mean, Nick Bosa and I think Eric Armstead both went down with ACL injuries. And they still finished fifth in total yards allowed on the season. They had just over 5,000, uh, I believe, passing yards, where the Jets had 6,200 allowed. They were fourth against the pass, seventh against the rush, and they were also fourth on third down conversion percentage at 35.5, which the Jets have always had a problem at getting off the field on third down. They just drop those two linebackers in zone coverage and let you get the eight yards that you need every single time. So I think that would be a difference maker for me. And then also I think either the, the Baltimore guys, Martindale or Greg Roman, I'm a fan of the power run scheme. I think you could utilize a mobile athletic quarterback, whether it is Fields, Wilson, Lance, wherever we go down that quarterback rabbit hole. I think they would fit the scheme well there. And uh, Joe Douglas was a scout in Baltimore for a little bit of the time that each one of them was there. So there is a little bit of, of carryover there. But I think those would be my top two options. I mean, Biennemi I like as well. He'd be my third option. He's kind of just a polarizing option in the, in the league in general. But 
I think at this point we've seen six names that the Jets have uh, requested an interview with so far, and I think five out of the six names are very good hires off the bat. I don't know too much about Patrick Graham, the Giants defensive coordinator, but so far I have to say the wide net that's been cast has been so far so good. Yeah, it's funny you use a couple terms that we're seeing used a ton on Twitter. The uh, the casting of the wide the net cliche. and the CEO, and yep. the CEO. Um, but that's mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of what it is. I mean, sometimes you just you know that's that's the problem when you have between you know the mainstream news outlets, the 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 bloggers, the podcast. If you're a Jets fan, you're following like 50 people who cover the team in some way, shape, or form. And they're all, we're, we, I say they, we, we're all repeating each other. But um, this is mm-hmm. what the Jets are looking for. They want a long list. Uh, for me personally, uh, uh, Alex, you, you, as you said, I'm not a fan of Biennemi. Um, couple reasons. One, he, like Eric, Eric Biennemi right now is what Adam Gase was six years ago. Oh, look at this, this record-setting offensive coordinator who's putting up 40 points a game. Yeah, with Peyton Manning. Um, Biennemi. You know, all record-setting numbers it with arguably the greatest trio the NFL has ever seen or will ever see with, uh, with, with, with Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey. And, the, and I just – I don't – listen, I, I won't – as I always say, I'm not going to pretend that I watched 16 Kansas City Chiefs games this year. But I did watch a handful and – or even just clips, even 20 minutes of a game – Every time I saw Eric Bieniemy, and this isn't a knock on him, like he's whatever his job is, whatever is expected of him, he's doing it. But every time I saw him, he was either talking to someone who was on the bench, or standing behind Andy Reid quietly while Andy Reid was calling the plays. And I'm just, I'm sorry. I, you know what I'm fed up with? And this is why, and, and it's funny because we evolved. You know, uh, like you, a few years ago, if you would have asked me, I was always a big, I was a big believer. Like, don't hire a college coach you got to get an NFL guy who has some NFL experience and I was adamant about it however I feel over the last few years I can't recall a time in my life where the NFL and the and college were more similar everyone's running RPO everyone's up tempo everyone's four wide five wide like you're seeing a lot of the same stuff now a lot of times stuff will evolve from the college game to the NFL but I, I just feel like right now there's so many similarities that I'd feel more comfortable hiring a head coach. And I'm just, I'm sorry, but I am tired of being a fan of a team where everyone gets to audition as a head coach. They bring in guys who have never done it. And it's like, oh, well, the Jets can be my stepping stone. They can be, and, and how many coaches fail in their first gig? Most of them do. So I'm tired of the Jets hiring first-time guys who get to cut their teeth and learn the ins and outs of being a head coach while they compile terrible records and then they move on somewhere else and they either suck somewhere else or they get a job somewhere else, whatever. I'm tired of the Jets being a place for inexperienced guys to audition and see if they have what it takes to be a head coach. So to me, enemy, he's got the same resume Gase had when Gase had a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's working for one of the best offensive coaches in the history of the league, and Andy Reid, who every time I turn on the TV, he's calling the plays. So I don't want enemy for that reason. I don't want, you know, Joe Brady is another name that, that's been thrown around. He's done some good things, but he's never been a head coach. 
You know, the, the, I, of all the guys being mentioned, there has never been a head coach that I, I can kind of get on board with is Wink Martindale in, in Baltimore because that guy's fielded three top five defenses in a row. Like, that, that's pretty damn good. But that being said, my top choice is Matt Campbell out of Iowa State. Now you say, oh, Iowa State, he's never won a big bowl game. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't he, – someone, someone said to me yesterday, he doesn't produce NFL players. That's my point. He goes out every year. He wins eight games every year. Coach of the year, two out of the last three years, might win it again this year. And he's a guy – you look at Iowa State's history prior to his arrival. The last time they won eight games was in 2000, 20 years ago. And then he comes in and does it three times in four years. And, you know, we've seen the motivation of the quotes, the speeches, and all that. That's all fine and good. But the guy gets results. And, he listen, the number one thing I look for in a coach, and, every, and I say it all the time, people get too hung up on rings. What has this coach ever won? What has that coach ever won? I, listen, not every coach has the talent to win a ring. I want to know, do you get the most out of your players? As I, said, as I just said with Adam Gase. We know that's not the case. We've seen a million of his players go on and succeed elsewhere and do better things when they get away from him. Matt Campbell, despite the fact that he's not an NFL football factory, he's not in Texas, he's not in California, he doesn't have a million, you know, a million kids to choose from right down the road to come and you know, go into the season with, with 16, 17, 18 five-star recruits. He doesn't have that, but he goes out and wins eight games every year. He's been, he, so, so what do we have? We have a guy who's a proven head coach who took over a bad program and turned it around and gets the most out of his players. That's what I want. And then you got Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Same type of situation there. You look at Northwestern the three or four years before he arrived, not a very good program. Since he's arrived, they don't, they don't bring in the most talent. They don't have a ton of five stars, but they just win football games. And then Todd Monken, who I've mentioned a million times, but I'm sure he's not even in the running. We're not hearing his name at all. He was supposedly the runner-up to Adam Gates last time around. Another guy, head coach, innovative, turned around a program uh, when, he was, when he was a college coach for three years. He took his team from zero wins the year before he arrived to nine wins three years later. He's doing great things at Georgia right now. I think he would be a great head coach. But those are my, those are my three. And that's weird for me to say, because as I said, I've always been anti-college, but you, Matt Campbell, Pat Fitzgerald, Todd Monken, those are my top guys. Wink Martindale's my top guy that we've heard of from the pro ranks. So we'll see how it goes. Did you, uh, Christopher Johnson today, guys, I'm not sure if you heard the presser. He said he would expect the team to have a coach hired within the next few weeks, if not sooner. So they do plan on moving fast. And the other thing that Chris Johnson addressed that I wanted to talk to you guys about, Sam Darnold. So Darnold with another stinker to end the season, two interceptions. One of them, I want to say it was triple coverage. I swear, I, I think there were five defenders in the area. Um, and, and it was just an inaccurate throw. That, you know, as they said on the broadcast, the window was there if, if he was an accurate throw. So even with the five defenders, there was a chance for a completion, but it didn't happen, overthrew it. Then later in the game, throws into double coverage, intercepted. I want each of you to tell me why Sam Darnold will or will not be back, or e- even better. Alex, tell me if you think Sam Darnold will be back or not. And if, if you do hmm. think he'll be back, 
I'm sorry if you don't, because I get the feeling you don't. If you don't think Sam Darnold will be back, what do you think it would take to get him back? What would have to happen for Sam Darnold to stay in New York Jet? I want to hear from you, Alex, and then Dylan. What has to happen for Sam Darnold to remain in New York Jet next season? Uh, Jordan Palmer would probably have to become our head coach, that or Dan Orvlosky, because those are probably (laughs) the two biggest media guys that love Sam Darnold. Um, that would probably be his, his safest bet. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, why would Sam Darnold uh, get another crack at being a New York Jets uh, quarterback in 2021? Uh, I believe that the Johnsons are a little uh, naive when it comes to making difficult decisions. Um, they wait, you know, as you said before, Dylan, um, uh, better, you know, late than never or whatever it is. Um, you know, Sam Darnold has not proven to be the caliber of quarterback that we anticipated him to be by this timeline. Uh, but if he were to come back, I would have to think that whomever the new coach is would, it would have the mindset of, I know what's wrong with Sam. I know how to fix him. And I know how, what system to implement to, uh, maximize his potential and, and get the most production out of him. So you would have to have the right individual that believes in himself, believes in Sam and believes that he can um, get him on the right course and not only, you know, within an off season, like right away, um, Jets have to come out next year firing out on all cylinders in order for us to believe that, you know, Sam is still going to be the long-term option. So you'd have to have the right head coach believes in Sam. Um, I think if a trade suitor came to us early on in the off season and gave us another haul for of picks for that number two spot, that would probably be the best situation for Sam's future with the Jets. Uh, we would have to get another uh, first round pick, maybe something for 2022. Um, and then, a day two pick at minimum. Um, you know, these draft picks are high commodities. Uh, you know, teams look to unload a lot of capital to get them. Um, I just think about what the Jets had to do in order to move up to the number three spot a few years ago to take Sam Darnold. Um, we gave up uh, multiple twos. We gave up our one. Um And if you think about it, you know, that could have possibly been um, the critical point in in what made the Jets rebuild uh, pretty much non-existent because we gave up too many premium pieces to get Sam. And we just banked on everything kind of falling into place because, as you and I had said way back then, Glenn, um, the hard part was over. We got the quarterback. Now we just have to fill in the blanks elsewhere. So. That's the thing. You know, you had Sam back. panned out, I, I think I don't think anyone would have complained about that trade. But as it turns out, it didn't. But yeah, you're right. It's the the thought process was we got the quarterback. Now let's go from there, and uh, exactly. didn't work out, did it? So for Sam to stay here, I think you'd have to have the right head coach. Uh, I think you'd have to have uh, the right trade suitor, um, and then you have to be aggressive as far as. Uh, going into the off season here. Um, I know that we did a lot of, um, you know, mediocre type of uh, deals. We were, 
you know, signing players for two to three years at a, you know, not too much of an expensive price. And, you know, those things all seem good on paper. But when you look at what the results are on Sunday, it doesn't really seem like that was the right plan. So you just need to turn the 32nd rank offense into something that is formidable and is of a viable threat next year. So if they have a, a very good off season as far as, you know, obtaining, you know, let's say a Pro Bowl offensive lineman in the interior side for, for one of our guard places, top wide receiver, uh, like an Allen Robinson or Juju Smith-Schuster or uh, possibly a Chris Godwin. Um, you know, I think that Tampa Bay would be silly to let him walk, but if he ever did, um, you know, those would be like the three wide receivers that I would like to have, you know, paired up with Mims. Um, so I, I think that if you have an aggressive offensive uh, free agency, you get the right trade capital for that number two pick, then, yes, there is a slim chance that Sam Darnold uh, be, stays our quarterback for 2021. Now, how do I feel of whether or not he, he should be the quarterback for 2021? Um I think that Sam is a project. He was a project when he came in. And I think that there's still a lot of work that this young um, man needs to do. I don't think his career is completely toast, uh, but I I do feel that um, things just clearly have not worked out. And there's a lot of things that Sam carried over from college that he never really parted with. Um, When he came to the NFL, his decision-making is still uh, questionable. Um, he doesn't do well against the blitz. He makes very minimal adjustments at, at the line. Um, so, you know, there's, there's mentally that I feel that Sam Darnold should be doing um, at this point in time, and he's clearly not because, you know, we see him staring down receivers and throwing into, to, you know, tight coverage, double, triple coverage, and turning the ball over like he did multiple times um, yesterday. So there's just too many signs that he hasn't learned from his past mistakes. Um, We keep seeing him doing the repetitive things when he's out there. And as far as one thing that you really want in a, uh, not only a NFL quarterback prospect, but just in a NFL quarterback period is you want someone that can handle the pressure and can rise above it when their back is put into a corner. And, you know, from what we've seen is that, you know, Sam will make Aaron throws when he's under duress. Sam will think he feels pressure, leave the pocket and make a bad choice and leave open wide receivers on the opposite side of the field. He's not even being able to, to see them because he's running away from potential pass rushers. So I kind of feel that there's too many bad habits that have been created over the last couple uh, last three years with Sam that he needs to go back to the drawing board, analyze his film, and he really needs somebody that can teach him how to start working on a lot of these mistakes that he's made. And where, where the Jets are, um, you know, we've hit rock bottom. And, uh, you know, it's they can't invest into a player like him um, much more uh, otherwise you know, you'll be in the rinse and repeat kind of, uh, you know, process that we've been in over the last, you know, few decades. Uh, so, Dylan, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. 
Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I think we need to move forward and, and get a new QB. Yeah, actually, one second, Dylan. If you uh, give me one, I'll, we'll get back to you on the Darnold thing. I just, I'm just looking at the, sure. uh, at, I'm looking at the studio here on WordPress, and a terrible, terrible oversight on my part. Uh, you know, shot out of a cannon. So excited with the gays firing, I wanted to get right into the candidates. One guy I left out, uh, and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on for a couple reasons, um, because he is within the division, and because of the work the Buffalo Bills have done with Josh Allen. Uh, Brian Dayball, who the Jets have requested an interview with, I uh, just Googled uh, look up a couple of gambling sites that have, you know, they'll place odds on most likely guy to be the next head coach. Um, and they list Dayball as the favorite with Biennemi behind him. Matt Eberflus at the uh, number three, who's the Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator. Again, another guy, no head coaching experience, would rather not. Dayball, to me, again, no head coaching experience, but the turnaround. I mean, Josh, you look at Josh Allen's numbers, and I, I don't know if you'll find a quarterback that's done – two years ago, he completed 58% of his passes. And this year, what was he, like 68, 69? You do not see that. You do not see quarterbacks go from sub-60 to nearly 70% completion percentage in a couple of years, if ever. Guys – you get guys out of college, you might be able to get their completion percentage up three, four points, maybe five. But what do you go up, like 17 or 13 or whatever? That just doesn't happen. So Dayball, and he knows the division, I'd be a little bit more comfortable with that. But he's listed as the favorite with the enemy. Eberflus is third. Joe Brady, fourth. Lincoln Riley, fifth. I don't even mention Riley. Riley, to me, is like David Shaw and Stanford. Both guys I would like to have. Both guys, all I ever hear is that they are not going anywhere. Uh, behind him, Matt Campbell, who's my top guy. Brian Schottenheimer, who would make Jets fans collectively puke. Uh, Dave Tube, I know very, I know nothing about. He's special teams coach for the Chiefs. Jim Harbaugh, please God, no. Uh, Arthur Smith, uh, Robert Salah, Bill O'Brien, no. Chuck Pagano, no. Pat Fitzgerald would be fine with me. Raheem Morris is an interesting name. Um, I, I kind of get the feeling he'll stay in Atlanta. I think he did a nice job of turning them around this year, kind of getting their heads on straight collectively. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Dabo Sweeney, will he come out? Who knows? Urban Meyer, he's going to Jacksonville. Doug Peterson isn't out there. And uh, right there with Doug Peterson, they list Rex Ryan. So uh, he's at 30, plus 3,300 if you want to win a bunch of money. But uh, so, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, uh, Dylan, but I – Realized I left Dayball off the list, and uh, while I was searching, I found that list and wanted to share that. So, please, your thoughts on Sam Darnold. Do you want him back, and do you envision a scenario in which he will be back? So, for anybody that follows me on Twitter, um, I've been saying it for a couple weeks now, longer than probably necessary, that Sam Darnold should not be the quarterback in 2021 for this team. Um, I think the two key factors that you look at with Darnold just in his play on the field alone are his adaptability, like Alex touched on, just the lack of mental anticipation before each play. He, you know, he does a couple things here and there, checking out of plays, and, and it's not up to the caliber of where it should be for a third-year quarterback. Sure, I understand he's 23 years old and can still learn a lot, but it's just not where it should be. And then the other, the other key 
negative side with uh, with Darnold this year was the elevation of the play around him. And I go back to the first time the Jets played the Patriots when Joe Flacco was the quarterback, and it looked like we had wide receivers on the New York Jets that could do something. Brashad Perriman was catching deep balls. Denzel Mims was doing well. I mean, not necessarily in the Patriots game, but Crowder did well when, when Flacco was on the field for a game or two. So you just look at those two key factors alone, and I think Sam Darnold, in my opinion, shouldn't be the quarterback in 2021. That being said, I think a lot smarter people will make that decision than myself, which for the Jets is a good thing because I've been wrong on quarterbacks in the past. Um, but in order for him to stay as the quarterback, I think the trade package at number two has to blow Joe Douglas out of the water to the point of it might even be a Jared Goff size trade where the, the Titans moved up from 15 to two to get Goff or 15 to one to get Goff. And they traded two first, two seconds and two third round picks. I think it might honestly take a little bit more than that for Joe Douglas to budge out of that spot and stick with Sam Darnold. Um, And also I think if the underwhelming trade value of Sam Darnold comes back as like a third or fourth round pick, which I don't really see likely the way Joe Douglas handles trades and just the value of quarterbacks in general in 2020, I think if the trade value on Sam Darnold is super underwhelming, I think it might force Joe Douglas's hand. But I also think that the head coach needs to, absolutely be head over heels for this kid so unfortunately the, the the deck is stacked against Darnold to return in 2021 it might be for the best that they just end up separating and you know both both parties end up making out in the end you know Darnold could go to a better team like New Orleans or Pittsburgh who's ready with a more playoff ready roster that can just inject the 23 year old quarterback on the fly that's ready to learn and I think right now the Jets are in a position to just start and start fresh from the foundation up with the Joe Douglas built roster. All right. Um, all good points, Dylan. I'll, uh, I'll give my thoughts on Sam Donald here in a second. Uh, first, we're going to go to the phones caller four zero seven area code. What's your name? What do you got? Hey Glenn. Hi, it's me, Rich. Oh, we in hey Rich, how we doing? Um, well, we're not locked down, man. So we're doing pretty good. <laughs> oh man. I'm in England. They, like three hours ago, they just announced a six week full lockdown again. I well, I'm not gonna get into that topic or whatever, but yeah, yeah, um, let's, uh, let's, I kinda let's talk out. about Adam Gase being locked out. Yeah, mm. well, that's a good thing, right? So, you know, I'm I'm pretty much ecstatic about Gase. Um, I heard, you know, um, Mr. Johnson's uh, remarks. I'm glad that uh, the GM is is gonna take the lead on this. So it looks like we're finally turning the the corner per se to doing things the right way and changing the culture, how the Jets do things or whatever. Honestly, they have to win back the fan base. And I don't know how you guys feel about that. I don't know how, I know the fan base is pretty much all over the place as far as coaching and, and QBs like you guys were talking about. Um, I'm a big Donald fan. Um, My argument towards Donald would be he had two years of college before he came out. So then he had the three years with NFL experience. So he's technically kind of almost on his first year in the NFL as far as growth is concerned. But I attribute a lot of his – he's got his own issues that he had when I watched him at USC. You know, he was a he was a, pretty much a wild card or whatever. 
Um, something that troubled me when I saw him in the Patriots game, this last game or whatever, he looked totally confused, just didn't know how to read that defense. And and then some of the points you guys are making as far as audibles or making adjustments on the fly out there. And I attribute that to coaching. Um, and, and then, again, he had the two years of college and then the three years of NFL experience, which was hindered somewhat by injuries and, and whatnot. And so, again, higher mind, it, it just all depends on who Joe Douglas and the new coach is going to fall in love with and then who they want to bring in or whatever. But I would love to see him back. I don't I, – I think that even if you bring a guy in, Chase Young, I mean, uh, the, you know, the uh, Ohio State guy or whatever, um, we're just going to be, you know, pretty much starting all over the place. But I, I won't – you know, I – it, it'll just be like, you know, putting in a, a rookie into the position where we are today, adding a couple of pieces or whatever. Um, I I'm, I like the the tackle. Um, I would love to get him and, and then solidify that O-line and then, you know, head in the right direction or whatever. Maybe down the line we can score a QB if, if for whatever reason Donald doesn't doesn't pan out. But that that's pretty much what I have to say. And, um, you know, how much – how much are we going to attribute Donald's hindrance and growth? I compare him, you know, I compare him with the class, right? We're talking about, you talked about the OC coordinator there in Buffalo, how he did with Josh Allen. And I think he could do the same thing with Donald. I honestly believe he's the, he's, he's the lead. I, I would love to see him in, as a jet coach. I know he has no experience. I don't want to see any retreads, you know, people, you know, uh, I knew, I knew, I knew some of the networks use that, that phrase and I kind of like it, but, you know, I like to see, you know, fresh blood and see what they can do. So any of the OCs that are out there or, or defensive coordinators that are out there or, or college would be just fine for me or whatever. But I, I wouldn't – I don't know what your takes are as far as – I know you guys have been talking about candidates, but I, I missed out the beginning portion of the show. And I don't know if you guys want to talk about, like, do you guys prefer to see somebody like that with no experience and that really has good offensive coordinator and, and shown to be – you know, possible good coach. Yeah, we went across the board. We all had our opinions, but um, I think we generally, we want someone, um, you know, I think I was bigger on the head coaching experience than you guys were, but just coordinators who have done their job at a high level. Um, you know, Eric Bietamie's name, of course, comes up, but, you know, I think there are some questions there, at least, you know, at least in my opinion. Um, but listen, it, the, the thing is, we can talk about this stuff till the cows come home and we will, it's going to dominate the conversation for the next few weeks. Um, but none of us know, you know what I'm like? I can say, I want yeah. this, that, and the other. I, I want a guy with head coaching experience who's built a program, blah, blah, blah. They might hire a guy who doesn't fit one friggin' box, you know, doesn't tick one box that I'm putting out there. And the guy might go on to win a Super Bowl. You know, nobody knows. Um, we're just kind of doing what we do. You know, we're fans. We, we have opinions of, from, from our years of watching, but I think that uh, I think this team, I think they realize the importance of getting it right. I think one of the more important things is that Chris Johnson said in his statement and, and a couple of media folks reported it too. So obviously it was said to them that they're going to get out of the way. Chris, Chris Johnson is going to make the hire, but Joe Douglas is going to have the biggest voice in the room, which means to me, Chris Johnson is just going to say yes when Joe Douglas says, hire this guy. Um, as the owner, of course, He's the one signing the checks. Of course he has to say, okay, but I don't see a scenario where, where Chris Johnson or Jaime Elhai, 
decide they're going to tell Joe Douglas that he, you know, sorry, Joe, you got the wrong guy. You know, uh, Joe's the football expert in the room. He's got more respect than any GM they've had in, in, you know, over a decade. So I think that's the way I see that unfolding. But uh, thanks so much for calling in, Rich. Always appreciate it, buddy. Hey, no problem. You take care out there. All right, take care. All right, we are going to go back to the phones again one more time here. We've got a caller from 919 Area Code. Caller, what's your name? What do you got? Hey, Glenn, Southern Chat, Rich. Hey, Rich, we got another Rich on the line. How we doing, buddy? How you doing, man? Hey, real three three quick things, and then I'll let you talk. Uh, I'll start off with I think you're right up there with reporters, so I respect you. Um, uh, n- number one, uh, uh, if you can comment when I, ha- when I hang up about the difference in play calling we saw the last four weeks, was that Douglas directed or Gase auditioning for a job? Because we saw the emergence of Herndon and some down-the-jill passes. Number two, um, uh, if we go CEO type, I like Matt Campbell. If we go uh, established coordinator, I like Brian Dable. And number three, I think there's an interesting dynamic going on right now. If Urban Meyer goes to Jacksonville and Fields lights it up against Alabama, because mm-hmm. Ma- Meyer is going to institute the off- Ohio State scheme and playbook, which Fields played because Ohio State kept his playbook when he left. So those are the things that I'm, I'm curious about. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great point. People jumped on that right away, and rightfully so. I mean, all this talk about Trevor Lawrence, this, that, and the other, and then all of a sudden, the guy who many people view as QB2 behind Trevor Lawrence, who far outplayed Trevor Lawrence the other day, um, an Ohio State coach is, is slotted to go in and, uh, and, and take over the job at Jacksonville. And yep. I think it's a good question. Listen, if Fields goes out there and, and lights up Alabama, yep. I, I don't – it's a good case. But I will say, though, I saw a quote earlier uh, a couple days ago when all that talk started. Um, Urban Meyer was asked about Trevor Lawrence, I think, a year or so ago, and he just raved about him, like one of the best college oh, quarterbacks I've ever seen. So, it, yeah. you know, it, it, it's not a lock or anything, but I think it's definitely – and, again, especially – if he lights up Alabama, I think that becomes a very interesting discussion. Um, but the but Glenn, question, you, know, a- you know more about it than I do, and, and, but, but I'll throw in this interesting tidbit that happened today is that um, Khan said he will be, take some GM ownership. Yeah, so what that tells me is that they might, have, they might have a handshake with Harbaugh who wants fields, and Khan is going to take the P-Har hit in the area saying I'm the one who decided it to take that burden off of Harbaugh. That, that's a weird thing that happened. And yeah, the that, only thing I that, can think of in all my years is he's going to take the PR hit for Harbaugh. That was a weird I mean, thing. I mean, uh, for, for, Alex, for Meyer, for Urban Meyer. Yeah, yeah, Alex and Dylan, I'm not sure if you guys saw that. Uh, uh, the Jaguars owner today said publicly that he will be the one that controls the 53-man roster, which I don't think – I can't remember the last time an owner – earlier. Yep. Yeah, I can't remember the last time an owner said that publicly. But, Alex, what are, you, what are your thoughts, Alex? Uh, Rich's question about the offensive play calling, why did Chris Herndon all of a sudden become a factor? Do you think that was maybe Sam Darnold just prioritizing him and looking for him a little bit more? Or do you think the Jets – do you think Sam – do you think Adam Gase was uh, just trying to change things up for the sake of trying to, you know, pick up some yards and, and, and do something right for a change? Yeah, it was pretty bizarre. Um 
I didn't realize <laughs> that we actually had a, a tight end that can receive and catch the football and, and do positive things. It's been so long since I've seen uh, someone from that position do something positive. So, um, you know, he was the forgotten man this year. Um, he's someone that you and I talked about at length, Glenn, about how he was going to be a pivotal uh, piece to to this offense because, yeah. you know, things were looking pretty good at the back end of the 2019 season and things were happening without, you know, a Denzel Mims or Chris Herndon or, you know, a what we thought would be a formidable offensive line. So, you know, possibly to do with, with maybe the scheme. I know that the type of defense that uh, the New England plays is, you know, they, they rely heavily on their defensive backs to, you know, play good, good coverage on the outside and, you know, pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. You know, this was a pretty bizarre year. I've never seen the Patriots struggle the way that they have, um, you know, which is kind of something to smile about because at least, you know, with everything that was going bad with the Jets, you know, seeing their struggles, you know, put a little smile on my face. Um, I'd have to think that it just was probably just a good scenario for Herndon. Um, you know, I, I was happy for him because, you know, his future with the Jets is a little uh, in question at this point. And, you know, he didn't put up. Not enough, anymore. I know, hope at not. this point to see whether or not if, if he could be something, but, you know, a friend of mine who, um, uh, you know, has studied Gase in the past and, you know, he had said something to me um, in 2019 uh, when Gase came on here and he said, just look at, you know, the teams that he's run and statistically the tight ends are pretty much, excuse me, non-existent. Invisible. Um, yeah, well, you look at what he did with Gesicki in Miami. Numbers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, Gesicki has a better year this year. Um, not with Gase, you know. I think Gase probably got lucky with the uh, Julius Thomas guy um, for a couple of years because um, he was kind of a flash in the pan. Um, yeah. You know, in- injuries kind of took him, fizzled him out of the league. But, you know, it just looks like the type of offense in which Gase runs, he uses those his tight ends mm-hmm. more in his zone blocking scheme. And with our poorest offensive line, these guys were doing more pass protection than they were running routes in certain scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, he just didn't script him at all. Um, you well, know, thank God those days he, are over, right? And absolutely. Thank God those I days mean, are over. You know, hopefully we have somebody that has an understanding yeah. of when you have young players that show certain skill sets, you utilize that and, and you implement absolutely. that. And you, like you said, Glenn, you push the ball to their area to make the defense make an adjustment. Um, and we didn't threaten teams in any shape or manner with our personnel this year. Um, people knew we were looking for Herndon. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, for uh, Crowder. And a lot of teams yeah. can try to get Crowder to be non-existent for Sam. And that would force him to go <laughs> elsewhere. And we saw how much Sam struggled from that. He didn't have time to because he can't get past second read with all the pass rush. Yeah, I mean, a lot of issues 100%. there to be worked out. Um, what would, There was one more part to your question, Rich. What was the other thing? Uh, no, my, my second one, my, my second one was just saying that I, I, if we go CEO route, route I like uh, Campbell. If, if we go yeah. uh, offensive coordinator route, I like Dable. And and I and I'll finish with I, I, I still say that Khan has taken a PR hit for Urban Meyer, who wants Fields. 
It could be. That, that's, that's something that is going to be worth watching in the coming months. But thanks so much for calling in, Rich. Appreciate it. Yep, yep. Take care, man. All right, take care. Be well, Rich. Thanks. All right, fellas. So uh, where were we? That, yeah, okay, so Sam Darnold. We were talking about Darnold. Dylan gave your take. Alex, what you think it'll take for Sam Darnold to come back. I don't see Sam Darnold coming back based, just based on the, the production, the struggles, the fact that he's broken. Uh, I, that, that, look, I like the kid. I think he's a likable kid. I think he puts in the work. I, I don't, I'm not someone who's going to give up on a guy who's 22 years old with his, who has the ceiling that he has. You know, everyone talk, I'm, I'm seeing people post box scores and numbers and big plays and throws on the run and all these. This is why we take fields. I'm like, I watched Sam Darnold make that same throw with USC, like against Penn State. Like, this, these are the things he did. That's why he was drafted where he was. It's just the problem now is that Sam Darnold is a worse player today than he was when he came in the league. So you have to get Sam Darnold to improve just to get him back to baseline. So the amount of work that needs to be done, the fact that he's due $25 million if you keep him beyond next season, I think makes it a virtual impossibility that you keep Sam Darnold. But two things I did want to mention that kind of, you know, because when you're as insane about this team as we are, these are the things you think about when, you're, when you can't sleep at night. I'm thinking about the fact that, Ian Rappaport said the Jets might be able to get a two for Sam Darnold. I'm thinking about the fact that, um, who was it? Uh, name is escaping me. Said the Jets could get a two and a three for Sam Darnold. And I'm thinking to myself, and, and we're talking, like, say you're Joe Douglas. You know, and I, I said a couple months ago just for fun, um, you know, what if what if the Patriots call and they want Sam? You know, what do you think? But leave, leave, some, leave a division rival out of the conversation. If you're Joe Douglas, and let's say, for instance, uh, it's being rumored now that that Drew Brees is going to retire, and let's say Sean Payton calls and says, hey, I'll give you a two and a three for Sam Darnold. Like, is there not a part of you that says, hang on a minute, I need a quarterback, and one of the most respected offensive minds in the NFL is willing to give me multiple premium picks for the guy that I already have. Doesn't, wouldn't that make you think, like, wait a minute, do I have something here? Am I, am I missing something? What, and I saw a tweet the other day, I can't remember if it was Schefter, who said that they could see up to 10 teams making the Jets offers for Sam Darnold. And that's interesting to me, because here I am. I love the kid out of college. I love him now. I'd love nothing more than to see him succeed. But even I'm at the point where I'm saying, look, you have to move on. you got to do it. But then I look at that and go, so 10 teams – want this guy that I think it's time to get rid of so we can bring in another unproven guy. Uh, just think that that's a, a sort of interesting way to look at it. But the only way I see Sam Darnold staying is if, and, and you guys have mentioned the possibility of a trade down to two and the extra picks you can get, <clears throat> which of course any GM would want that. But if Joe Douglas, let's say Joe Douglas brings in Brian Dayball. Or, or, you know, Matt Campbell, whoever he brings in. And they sit down and talk. And let's say, because these guys, as, as we all know, you don't become a head football coach without having some ego, without having some serious, serious self-confidence. Let's say Matt Campbell sits down and says, I can fix that kid. I can win with him. You give me a year with him in my system, and, and we, can win, we can win 10, 12 games. 
And let's say that coach convinces Joe Douglas that they believe they can. And, and listen, people that hate Sam Darnold could say, Glenn, you're an idiot. Look at his numbers. Look at, look at the, the throws in a double coverage, triple coverage. Look at the completion percentage. Look at the regression. These are all things I know. I've talked about these things all year. However, if, and, and listen, maybe, maybe Schefter is wrong. Maybe these teams aren't going to come knocking. But if they do, if teams are offering premium picks, that means these teams think they can win with Sam Darnold. So is it that far-fetched to say that a, a new guy who's brought in might come in and say the same thing? Joe, don't draft another quarterback. Use that pick to build the O-line or trade down and get us some more players. I can win with this kid. That's the only way I see Sam Darnold staying. But I don't see how a guy can come in and see the throws into double and triple coverage and the regression and the completion percentage and say, I want a time, I want to hitch my wagon to that kid. I, I don't. But, listen, stranger things have happened. That's the only way I see Donald staying, is if the new guy says, Joe, you go have a ball with your draft picks, I can win with Sam Darnold. Um, and, and we'll see how it goes and, you know, what, what the future holds at that position. Because it really is uh, – it's frustrating, Alex. You know, you talked about the, the draft picks that were used to get him, and unfortunately it obviously didn't work out. But, you know, sometimes that's the way it goes. But I just, one thing, another thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap things up from this past, just kind of, just to end on, I mean, we started on a high note. We started with Adam Gase's fired. Um, but it, it was a lost season, miserable season, 2-14. and 14. But I want both of you now, again, so we can leave on a high note. Give me three or four or five players that you looked at and said, this guy finally took that, you know, Quinn and Williams, obviously he's going to make any win. Mekhi Beckton, obviously. But who are some guys that stood out to you that you can say, we didn't know what we had in that guy coming into the year, but now he's someone we might be able to build around, or at least who can be a part of this moving forward. Alex, give me three, four, five guys. Dylan, you do the same. Okay. Um, I think if we're going to look at, at – Let's look at the defense just for a quick second here. Um, you know, just a couple guys here that uh, stood out to me. Um, you know, very, very small sample sizes here. Um, I liked what I saw out of Bryce Hall out of um, with certain reps that he took. Um, he played against some, some decent competition over the last few weeks. Um, you know, obviously he's a little raw, but he's been removed from the game due to that that nasty broken ankle he had from a couple of years ago. Uh, so I think that there is uh, some potential with Bryce Hall. Um, you know, no shocker here. We've talked about him plenty of times on this show. Uh, you know, Ashton Davis was somebody else up until his injury that was showing some things. You know, I, I clearly felt that he, in certain scenarios, looked like a deer in headlights, but you did see some pop. Um, he was getting around, flying around the field. So there's a couple pieces in the defensive backfield um, that, you know, we could probably go forward with it and, and rebuild, um, you know, the back end of the defense and, and make it as strong as it, what it used to be. Um, you know, obviously Marcus May would be in that, um, in that formula, but uh, I really liked what I saw from, from certain things from Davis and Bryce Hall and, uh, you know, somebody that, kind of didn't do much early on, but kind of came on near the back end of the year is Fuller Runzo Fadakasi. 
Um, you know, somebody that we've talked about quite a lot. I really hope that he ends up being, you know, a trench guy for years to come. Um, and, you know, the obvious, like you said, was Becton and, and Quinnen Williams. So there's a few players there. Um, offensively, I don't think we saw enough out of Mims, but what we did see was a player that, you know, has that acrobatic ability to get up and go get the football um, in 50-50 situations. We saw what he did near the sidelines. Um, he's doing, he was doing some small things that you see out of veteran receivers, uh, you know, very early on in the process. And, and kind of like you said, Glenn, with, with Herndon, um, he wasn't scripted as much. Um, well, you know, maybe seven, eight targets a game, um, which is decent for, for a rookie. But I, I kind of feel that there's some really, really untapped potential. I mean, if you think about a second-round pick, somebody that was talked about um, in certain circles as a first-round back-end uh, pick in Denzel Mims, um, coming away with the season with, with zero touchdowns, um, really, really unfortunate. And I kind of think that we're going to be pleasantly surprised once he gets healthy. Um, and if we do get the right guy, you know, calling uh, calling the plays, and if we do find a, you know, formidable quarterback that is going to compete and keep us honest in games going into the fourth quarter, um, I think Denzel Mims has a really, really bright future. Uh, there's really, really not that much when you're looking at a two and fourteen team, um, but you know, even like somebody like like a Wesco, who you know, I'm I got my green goggles on right now. Um, seeing him come back over the here. last couple of weeks, and you know, going getting to that second level, and you know, cleaning linebackers and and helping you know lanes being open for Ty Johnson. Uh, you know, even old man Frank Gore um, was a benefactor in these last couple of weeks um, from, from Wesco coming into the fold. So not great pieces, but there are some pieces that I think with the right offensive mind and a guy that has a better plan than what Adam Gase had, I do think that, um, you know, all hope is not lost with certain guys on this roster. Um, statistically, you could poo-poo all my takes, uh, but – when we look at the sample size and some of the good things, uh, which are not a lot, but when, when you harness in on those, those reps that some of these guys took, you know, there's no reason why a player like Mims can't be a thousand yard receiver um, flirting with double digit touchdowns for this team. There's no reason oh, that, yeah. you know, a Herndon and a Wesco could be a one, two punch from the tight end position. You know, there's no reason that Bryce Hall falls back into that, you know, 2018, 2019 status that he was in Virginia and being just a dominant outside corner. Um, you know, so there's a lot of players here um, that we've yet to see their potential. I feel we've barely scratched the surface. So um, not a lot, but, you know, with all these picks that we have going into 2021 and 2022, um, you know, if these guys flourish as we hope that they do, um, might actually really have something decent um, in a couple of years with this organization. And I know, you know, New York Minute, we want to see it now. Uh, unfortunately, we're just going to have to be a little bit patient. All right, Dylan? Yeah, so, I mean, 
to preface this, I just want to start by saying there's going to be roughly 20 open roster spots on the Jets next year, and they're just coming off a 2-14 and 14 campaign. So going second in this uh, little exercise is going to be a little difficult, especially considering that my laptop just crashed. But the five uh. names that I just jotted down while Alex was talking real quick, I started up front in the O-line. I think that's Joe Douglas's um, baby, if you will. I think he's going to continue to manicure that position as an overall unit and make sure that they have a cohesion going year after year and not replacing four linemen every single year. So I kind of like what I saw from Elfline. I know not everybody in the Jets community has been in love with everything he's seen. You know, there's a couple flash plays in the run and then he lets up a lot of pressures in the past. I think that can overall progress next year, get him some more time next to Mekhi Becton, next to Connor McGovern who also makes my list. I think Connor McGovern is a big foundational piece we can build around. Um, I think overall on the offensive line, the center is probably the second most uh, important position. I think it goes left tackle center than right tackle. I know some people think right tackle might be more important than center, but McGovern has been solid. The guard play around him hasn't been great. We know the story all year. I think another year in the system under Frank Pollock, if he stays around, I think the three of those guys on the left side can really hold it down. Um, Another offensive guy was Ty Johnson, the guy that was exploding through the holes behind these uh, blockers. I think every chance that we had to see him as Jets fans, we, we came away wanting more, whether it was a great performance or a bad performance. I think no matter what, he just left enough on the table where it's like we could have a running back two or three out of this guy and to pair him with Pirine and maybe another rookie coming in. I think a running back by committee could be a really good thing for this team. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the two names that I came away with were Neville Hewitt. I think he was all over the field pretty much week in and week out. You always saw number 46 somewhere around the ball. He wasn't the best in pass protection. And I think if a CJ Mosley comes back or if they go after the linebacker position in free agency, I think that will only make Hewitt better as a foundational piece in the second level of the defense. And also, I like slot corner uh, Javelin Gidry. He didn't play a whole lot. He had a you know, slightly limited role. But as an undrafted free agent to come in when all the injuries were mounting up for the Jets, and he came in and he had three, four fumbles in two games. And I thought that everything that he showed was enough that he could be a depth piece at a position that you want to have a lot of depth at in corner. So I think those five, to me, were the under-the-radar foundational pieces that Joe Douglas might have a hard time letting go of if the decision comes to that. All right, Dylan, thanks for that. And um, before I uh, before I offer up my, my handful of guys that I want to mention, uh, first I want to mention our sponsor, Miles Social. Jet Nation would like to thank Miles Social. If you're a business owner, big, small, large, whatever size business, and you need help running all of your social media platforms, Check out Miles Social at milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com, M-I-L-E social.com. Miles Social will uh, help get more customers through your door and more money in your pockets. So, listen, uh, for me, guys, coming away from this, I think, you know, maybe this is a little bit of the – it's definitely a little bit of the green-colored glasses, but there is definitely some reality here as well. As the saying goes, you know, with football, it all starts in the trenches, right? Um, this defensive line with Quinn and Williams, with what John Franklin Myers showed, um, Henry Anderson obviously will be gone. Um, but this, they have some pieces here to build around who are, you know, 
give them a chance to win up front every week on defense if things keep going the way. Quinnen Williams played at an elite level. No, he wasn't Darren Donald, but there is every reason to believe this would have been a 10-sack season for him had he stayed healthy. So that might be one question if you want to worry about that. His health, perhaps. But they have some guys up front, Foley, Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard. When his reps went up, Nathan Shepard looked like a different player. So between Quinnen and, and Franklin Myers, Fadakasi, Shepard, they have some guys up front who can, who can beat you up in the trenches. That's a great thing. On the other side of the ball, we've talked about Becton. I wholeheartedly agree on McGovern. As far as I'm concerned, those two spots are locked in. Fant at right tackle, I don't love, but I think you can live with them. I really do. Um, so to, in my mind, going into this offseason, you have two questions. One is, do you believe Cam Clark, Clark can play? If not, you got to find another guard either in the draft, because in free agency, you got to throw a bunch of money at, at Thune or at Scherf and see if you can get one of those guys. So to me, if you, if you land Thune and you think Clark can play or you get another guard, your all line's good to go as far as I'm concerned. You, you're not, you know, you're not going to be the 2009 Jets with Damian Woody and Alan Fanica. No, you're not. But you're going to be, you're going to be damn good. Right? And really the only reason I say that is because of fans. He is an adequate player. He's not going to dominate anyone. Um, but there's still, not, you know, as I say all the time, you're never going to have 22 dominant starters. If you have a bunch of guys who can get the job done more times than not, you have a shot. So if you, if, let's say you go Fant at right tackle and then, you know, add a right guard through, uh, through the draft, maybe it's Cam Clark, you sign Thune and you add them to Beckton and McGovern, I think that's a great, great offensive line. And then all of a sudden, up front on offense and defense, you're a force to be reckoned with. Okay, then, of course, then we saw down the stretch what Chris Herndon can do. Get that guy involved again. He should be an, an elite weapon at tight end. Denzel Mims, get him some more targets. Got to see if he can stay healthy. That This entire draft class, every single guy in this draft class either had multiple minor injuries or one or two major injuries or didn't get on the field. That was it. The, outside, of Brad, outside of Braden Mann. Every single guy missed time due to injury or just didn't get on the field at all. Um, so these guys got to get healthy, stay healthy. But you mentioned Bryce Hall, Alex. I think he's going to be a really good corner. I think if Marcus May comes back, which he said publicly he loves it, he'd love to stay. I think if a winning team, I think if a playoff team calls him, I think he will he will run for the hills and and try to try to win a few football games and see what that feels like. Um, but there are some pieces. There are some pieces on the O line. There are some pieces on the D line. There are some pieces in the secondary. And this wasn't the case the last time, uh, you know, the last time there was a, they hit the, re, the reset button. So there are some pieces to build around, some things to be happy about. And um, we'll have a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks, guys. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Dylan and Alex, for doing a little bit of a long show tonight, but well worth it. And uh, that'll do it for us tonight. Have a good one, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!